another episode of Picture Books and Justice, the interview series of the Picture Books to Gang, where we chat with authors, illustrators, and other publishing individuals. Tonight, I am so excited to have on the show Lucy and James Catchpole of the Catchpole Literary Agency. Lucy and James run a boutique literary agency in Oxford, England, where they represent picture books, young adult books, both authors and illustrators. They are both disabled and have a fantastic Instagram account, mostly run by Lucy, called At The Catchpoles, where they blog about their experiences as parents, disability, and even host live singing playgroups. Today, however, we're going to focus on the incredibly exciting release of James' very own picture book, which is coming out next year, What Happened to You?, about a boy with one leg who really just wants to play and make friends without being bothered by a lot of invasive questions, inspired by James' own experiences, which we would love to hear more about. Welcome to the show. Hello, Ali. Thank you for that lovely introduction, by the way. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So... James, tell us about your book that is coming out and about how your life experiences have shaped the story that you you have put together. Thank you, Ellie. I'll give it a shot. So I never meant to to write this book. I'm an agent for books. I have authors. They write books. I edit them and I sell them. Um, But I also get sent books all the time. And I've been sent a fair few books about disability, books about disabled children or that purport to be about disabled children. And I've noticed over the years um, that it's extremely hard to get them right. And people very rarely do. And then I've noticed the books that are out there that Lucy will probably talk about later that have been published um, about disabled children and so often get it slightly wrong as well. So eventually it sort of occurred to me that I probably had to have a go at it myself, um, being within that world and being disabled. So you, you kind of touched on it in your answer there, but you guys have been very vocal on the internet about your feelings regarding the existing state of disability representation in Kidlick or the lack of authentic and respectful representation. So how do you feel like your book and coming from a place of your own experiences may challenge the status quo of what is already out there? Well, it, it center, I think James's book centers the disabled child. And that's the big issue that seems to be. I went through loads and loads of books that are for children about disability or about disabled characters recently. And what we, we both looked at them and what we found is that most of them were for siblings of disabled children or for completely non-disabled children to find out about disability. So they're not really centering the disabled child and they're definitely not centering a disabled reader. And I think that's what James has, uh, James has done completely differently. So, thank you. So do you feel that the publishing industry as a whole is open to receiving and representing more disabled-owned voices at, at this point right now? I think, it, I think in theory it's, it, it should be and it's getting better at doing so. I think the industry has had to make strides recently in terms of opening its doors to people of ethnicities other than white. And quite rightly, it's making progress in that direction. But in terms of disability, I'm not sure it's quite as far advanced. I think there's probably still an acceptance of the idea of people who are disability adjacent, or not even disability adjacent, people who are perfectly able-bodied, but well-intentioned, of their writing the books that they need to be in, and they're writing books for non-disabled children about disability that's i think still the norm so you so many people like as you're saying 
are not disabled and writing about the experience and and sort of shaping the way people are meant to think about disability. Lucy and I have talked a few times in the past about sensitivity reading. So for those of you listening who don't know what a sensitivity reader is, it's when somebody has written a book about a person or characters who have experiences that they they are not part of that group. So if you are not disabled and writing about somebody who is disabled, or if you are a white author writing about a black child, what some publishers will do is they will hire or find, sometimes they don't pay you, I think, a person of that group to read it, a sensitivity reader, and to highlight or flag any problems and give suggestions. Now, do you think that that whole process is enough to ensure that books written by someone outside of the disabled community are acceptable? We have a few problems with the term sensitivity reader. I think that's quite an interesting place to start with this. What was your thing about that? Yeah, sensitivity readers always sounds to me like it's someone who's being brought in to indulge the feelings of the overly sensitive, when really this isn't about that. You're consulting an expert in a given field in the same way that if you were to write a book about a heart surgeon, you might consult a heart surgeon on the detail. So Lucy has done a so-called sensitivity reading recently on the book, and I think we've, we've asked them to credit her as disability expert. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> it may or may not be capitalised. I don't know that. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, which I think. But I mean, I think there are lots of inherent potential difficulties with sensitivity reads, one of which is, it's often something brought in right at the end of the process, basically to rubber, spa- rubber stamp a book that's already essentially finished. And I think that then puts the disability expert or sensitivity reader in quite a difficult position because you know that's when that's what the publisher wants from you. And that's a re- that could be um, quite a difficult power balance. And just because you're a disability expert, you're not, not everyone is also an expert in publishing um, and in books. and saying to someone often these these things are just wrong like from the core someone has started off with a bad idea like (laughs) using disability as an allegory um which just isn't something that should be happening anymore i mean in the 17th century we thought it was a really great idea to write books like the fellow where we used black or brown skin as an allegory for a dark soul but quite sensibly we kind of moved past that no one would ever think of doing that, I don't think, with race. But people do still do that sort of thing with disability. For instance, it's hard to imagine, had a sensitivity reader been brought in on the last draft or so of Me Before You by Jojo Moyes, could it have made any difference? No, no, it couldn't. No, it couldn't have. The, you know, the disability was being used as a, a sort of emotional tool throughout that book. Yeah. From the off, it was there in the whole conception of yeah. it. So actually, more accuracy as to the disabled character would only interfere with the way she wanted to use mm. that concept. So I think sensitivity readers were probably involved with Sonia Sotomayor's book, Just Ask. You can see that there are some bits where they're, they're showing two different, uh, deaf maybe, characters um, who one uses sign language, one perhaps has a hearing aid, and you think, yeah, maybe there have been some sensitivity readers involved with that who've consulted, but it's going to be making those little tweaks 
uh, whereas our problem with just ask is literally from the title we think there's a really big problem with saying that the best way to approach disabled people is to ask them intrusive questions mm -hmm. so in that sort of scenario there's not much you can do really right so it sounds to me like the way that they're treating people who are doing these quote-unquote sensitivity readings is really just to give them carte blanche to say whatever they were going to say anyways and put that the onus be, on them yeah and i should add that the only sensitivity read that i have done was paid and they completely rewrote it and it was a very very good experience much better than i i'd expected to be honest but i know from reading around that that is not the universal experience and because i'm within the industry i had a level of confidence to suggest dramatic changes um and i don't think everyone's in that position that's true and it's hard too with publishing because i'm sure some people who are doing these readings are hoping that they may find other employment in the industry later on yeah. so there's definitely a, a weird power balance there that is not cool yeah also i think it's often charities and disability adjacent people who are generally being asked to do sensitivity readings instead of actual disabled people that's just the impression i get a lot of the people being asked to do these quote-unquote sensitivity readings are not actually of the community but adjacent where this is also true of a lot of the people writing these books is that they're adjacent to mm -hmm. the communities of people that they are seeking to represent and that they're using that experience of being near a person with yeah. that experience as authority to say whatever they want i do I personally receive a lot of requests to review books. Many of them are, are self-published. And I see a lot of people who are asking me to review their books where they've written about, let's say, an autistic child because they have an autistic child, yeah. but they are, they are not themselves autistic. Do you think that their experiences are valid enough to be writing with the voice of that person? I would say, of course, their experience is valid as the mother or father of a disabled child. That is an entirely valid experience and voice. But no, they aren't own voices as an autistic person or a disabled person. Disability adjacent is very, very different to um, actually being disabled yourself. Even really close family members of disabled people frequently really have a very, very different perspective. Uh, on that. And this almost always shows up in the way that the books are then written. In so many of them, it's not the disabled child that ends up being centered, but the able-bodied children around them. The disabled mm -hmm. child is normally helped by the able-bodied children around them to resolve whatever problem they have. I also wonder whether, whether being the parent of a disabled child might make it harder in a way. If you're writing about your own child, in one sense you have extreme proximity to their mindset and on the other hand you have a, a great lack of objectivity i think i'm saying that as a parent myself um i think it can be a hard thing to balance there, there are examples of able-bodied people who have written about disabled people and got it right of course you don't have to be your own voices um it's quite a rare occurrence we've, we've got one example yeah yeah mama soon's is absolutely wonderful and she's 
a disability adjacent author. I think uh, Jane Cowan Fletcher, James. That's the name. Yeah. yeah. And I think her sister is a wheelchair user or was 30 years ago when she wrote this book. But she just gets it very, very right. It's not, we're not um, saying that no able bodied people should try to write books about disabled people. No, indeed. She's writing about a disabled mm -hmm. adult, though, as well, isn't she? Maybe she that, is. Maybe it's, that yeah. helps. Yeah. Mm. I, I found it genuinely difficult to, to think back to my childhood, to the experience of being a disabled child, to be able to sort of tap into enough authenticity and truth to do this. I think I managed in the end, but it took me quite a few years to get the story right. So for some bad experience. And that book that you're talking about, Mama Zooms, like you said, it was from 30 years ago. That's really unusual, isn't it, to find older books that are dealing with experiences that are not normally represented in a way that is still considered respectful, I suppose? Yeah, I think it is. But then it's, inc it's incredible to me how very, how very badly wrong really quite recent books can get disability. So... I just think we we seem to have a quite a long quite a long way to go. But yeah, I was very surprised to find a book from thirty years ago. And in a way it just shows that actually it was always possible. We could always actually just write about a disabled person with respect and empathy and as though they are a person. It was always possible. It was always possible. <laughs> so being old timey, not an excuse. No, <laughs> not no. an excuse. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> And so just for the people out there who are aspiring authors and they're very interested in writing about disabled characters, what would your advice to them be if they want to start this process? I would say write for a disabled reader because if it isn't good enough representation, if it isn't a good enough representation of disability for disabled readers, then why would I want my non-disabled children reading it? And really, I think everything will follow from there. If you're writing about a disabled character, imagine a disabled person reading it. And if you're comfortable with that, then, you know, it's probably good representation. So that's one thing. Also, just do research and take doing research as seriously as you would in any other area of specialized knowledge, like law or the blue-footed booby or the Outer Hebrides. If you were <laughs> writing a book about any of these subjects, you would take research and getting these things right seriously, not because you wanted to be sensitive to someone's feelings, but because you just want, don't want to get a book wrong, do you? But for some reason, when it comes to disability, people generally, people often are just not doing their research. I'm not quite sure why. I wish they'd just take it seriously. And don't get a disability adjacent person or charity to rubber stamp it right at the end when in your heart of hearts, you know you're not really prepared to make any dramatic changes. Lucy, you have a lot to say. And I just, <laughs> and I love it. But I do have to ask you the question, how much of your voice is in James's book? Yeah, really, Ali, I wrote the whole thing. I just thought it would be more palatable coming from James. <laughs> so I got him to write his name. No, that's not true at all. <laughs> do you know what? I, because I've, been editing picture books for I don't know a, a decade or more it was me that wrote it all and because it's about 
a boy who was me. It's me who wrote it all. But I never would have written it had I not met Lucy because I'm the most sort of lackluster sort of disabled person. I'm I'm an amputee, and we're terrible disabled people. They are. Um, we're we're all dreadfully prejudiced. We, you you hear us when we get together saying things to each other like, "God, I'd never be in a wheelchair. Me, I'd rather die." Dreadful things we say to each other. They do. Awful people, amputees. It's partly because we're, we're the most acceptable form of disabled yeah. people. Like we look quite dramatic, but everyone can see, you know, what's quote unquote wrong with us, and and the sort of implications of us, uh, of our of our uh, you know our, our bodies and the way we get around. We sort of vaguely look heroic, especially if we're yeah. men. It's harder if you're a woman, I think. But if you're for male amputees, we all we, you know people think we're great. Basically, they all they all think we fought in a war. So. Ha- it probably wouldn't have occurred to me to write this left to my own devices. And had I done so, then it would have been awful, Ali. It would have been a sort of a, a list of all the groovy ways I can be heroic as an amputee. Look, I can run upstairs. Look, I can kick a football. <laughs> it's only because I managed to meet and then marry someone with a proper disability um, <laughs> that, that meant my consciousness had to raise to some degree. And I had to actually... Uh, introspect if that's not it's not quite a verb is it but let's pretend it is i had to introspect a bit and um and and bring more to it so i in the end i didn't write a book about how great it is to be one-legged i wrote a book about the thing that's genuinely difficult about being visibly disabled which is the intrusive questions about being being visibly different to other people and the other people's sense that um they can ask you about that at the drop of a hat from across the road And do you think that when people read your book and this message, do you think that they're willing to accept that? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the proof will be in the pudding. Do you have that phrase in Canada? The proof is in the pudding. I have uh, heard it, but I don't think we say it much. <laughs> <laughs> I may have never said it before. I may never say it again. Um, I think maybe. I think well-intentioned, liberal-minded people might do because a few people who've read it who've actually been involved in its creation, I won't say who, have confessed to me that they were definitely of the ilk of parent who would, had their child had questions about me in the playground, they would have sent their child up to me saying, oh, just go and ask him, which a fair few parents do do. And it comes from this instinct of worrying that their child sees the disabled person as other. So the most important things that their child recognizes the humanity of the person so send them over to say hello and ask as many questions as as they might want to and those people have said to me since oh yeah no i won't be doing that now and it's true because of course i'm not there to answer their child's questions i do i don't generally try and scare their child as a a sense of meanness unless we're on the beach in which guy says so yeah it was definitely a shock don't go in the water don't go in the water I didn't, I should have disclosed this earlier. I actually read this book. I somehow sweet-talked you both into sending me an early peek at the release. And it is as hilarious as both of them are in person. And I have to say, it, it made me think a lot about my own reaction if I were to see a disabled person. And I am Canadian, so we don't, I mean, I want to say we don't do that. I, I wouldn't ask somebody a rude question like that, but I think people do. I hope that getting a chance to read your book in classrooms or 
people reading it at home, they really think and rethink this curiosity or the nosiness to be asking totally inappropriate questions. I just don't understand it because you wouldn't go up to somebody who had some other visual difference and be like, hey, what's up with the giant, you know, thing on your face <laughs> do you know what I mean it's it's just under uh, no other circumstances would that be considered polite behavior no so it, no indeed it boggles my mind really <laughs> yeah. and, and yet it's the status quo so um a lot of the amputees I know I know through amputee football I have a amputee football teammate who was once asked by the Daily Mail which is a sort of dreadful conservative tabloid here in the UK they wanted him to be part of a campaign for awareness about disability. So they had him stand outside Covent Garden Underground Station in the middle of London with a sign saying, I'm an amputee, ask me anything, as though by doing so he would be breaking down some sort of you know, difficult, awkward taboo. And of course people came up and asked him anything as they do. And all they did is they asked him the questions that you do actually get as an amputee anyway without holding up a sign. So he got, you know, what happened to you, obviously. He also got, can you have sex? And given he's only a below-knee amputee on one side, you've got to wonder, you know, do they take a run-up? How do they imagine he would have to do it and yet not do it? But, but you, don't need, you don't actually need a sign to be asked that question. I've had that question in the post office queue. You know, have you, You've had that you question in the post office queue? No. From the man behind the counter at the post office. Yes, didn't yeah. you have one of our children with you at the time? <laughs> no, no, I didn't. I didn't. Not on that occasion. No, no. And that, that question has sort of tapered off since I've had children. That, that helps answer that one. <laughs> that is <Yeah>. shocking. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I also wanted to ask, so I've read your book and it is fantastic. So I imagine your publisher for this book must be very excited about this. Do you have plans to be doing any follow-up or for Lucy to be doing a follow-up? Oh, that's an interesting question. That's a very interesting question. <laughs> Our publisher is excited about it. Actually. It's very gratifying. Um, yeah, no, they're, they're definitely behind it. And could there be for a follow-up? What do you think, Lucy? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> it, it would be nice to say to imagine we could do a whole sort of long-running series about all different kinds of disability. But, of course, we only have yeah. a couple of kinds of disability between us. And yeah. We wouldn't want to try and write a book about being blind because we don't know anything about it, do we? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, I'm an amputee, you're a wheelchair user, but you used to have an intriguing and invisible disability, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I did. My disability was invisible for ages, so we could do that angle. I think there might be mileage in it. You yeah. might be mileage in it. Might be mileage. I reckon so. Yeah. <laughs> and I imagine that they will be wonderfully written, so I will be yelling from the rooftops on the internet for any books you guys put out. Thanks so much for tuning in to another installment of PB&J, Picture Books and Justice. Thank you to our guests, Lucy and James, for coming onto the show. Follow them on Instagram, at the Catchpoles, and definitely head over and pre-order James's book, What Happened to You? I already pre-ordered my copy. You can find the link down in the show notes below. Let us know what you thought about tonight's episode over on our own Instagram page, at Picture Books to Gang. We love hearing from you. Good night. Thank you.